You're listening to the Million Dollar Sellers Podcast with your host, Nick Shuquette. Today's show features another amazing entrepreneur who has found success online. Now, let's learn what it takes to be a million dollar seller. All right. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is your host, Nick Shuquette, Million Dollar Sellers Podcast. Today, we have Hassan on the show. Uh, I'm really excited just to chat with him and catch up with him. Uh, we always have a good time hanging out in person, man. Uh, what is up, Hassan? Hey, man. Glad, glad to be here. Yeah, it's always a blast when we get together. Uh, talk, talk shop, of course. Um, yeah, and I'm excited to share. Was, uh, it was Jackson. It was Wyoming, right? Yes. Yeah. Jackson, Wyoming. And we'll be back there in We're a few weeks. Back there. Yeah. yeah. So I'll get to I'm see you excited, again in a few man. weeks in Jackson. I'm excited. Um, well, yeah, like I said, man, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Uh, we're excited just to, to hear about your journey, man, and how you got into Amazon, the thing that's, uh, the things that you've accomplished, the goals that you have, uh, set for yourself, uh, that have led to you, led to you, you know, living, uh, a life where you can make a lot of decisions on, on how you do things every day. And I've seen you out traveling, like doing great things, talking about amazing stuff. So, uh, with that, man, let's kick it off and just let you, you know, just tell us how you got started. Like, how did you start in entrepreneurship? How did you get into Amazon and, and into where you are now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's a fun story. The, I always say that the way I got started in e-commerce is the summer after my junior year of college, uh, I was going to school for accounting. I uh, Googled how to make money selling stuff online. <laughs> that is, nice. that is exactly how it started. Uh, found a couple of courses, uh, took them, and I started off in the world of like online and retail arbitrage. You're familiar with that world, yeah. of course. That's how you started off, right? Um, and from there, it just progressed. I mean, there's you know the whole story involves failures, uh, you know, successes. In the beginning, your first your first step, whatever you take with e-commerce is going to be wrong. <laughs> it's just yeah. <laughs> almost guaranteed to be wrong. It's very hard to be right the first time. Um, well, look, well, cool thing about Amazon and like online arbitrage is you get to learn the ropes with relatively little amount of money real quick, understand the whole progress and then figure out yeah. your own path there. It definitely allows you to see like different niches and categories and products, uh, you know, a lot easier, a lot more quickly. Yeah, Absolutely. So uh, what, from there, I lost a little bit of money, then got back, got back on my feet uh, on that business and stumbled into doing wholesale where I used to buy from distributors and sell on Amazon from distributors. And the niche I was doing a lot of work in was board games. I was buying from wholesale distributors and board games, um, selling them on Amazon. What year was this, Hassan? So this was all, this was all through my senior year of college. Um, I got my degree in accounting my undergrad degree in accounting. And uh, I had an internship in the city. I had a job offer for after I finished grad school and did my CPA, went back to grad school for my CPA. And as I'm, as I'm like starting grad school and doing grad school, my business started taking off that Q4. Q4 is a big time in board games. So in November, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, November of grad so school. How year, quick was that? So you started, like, what was that gap between you starting in that first uh, Q4 that really took off? The first Q4, I didn't do well. It's the second okay. Q4. So it was like- Second Q4. I, yeah, right. a year and like three months. So the first, like, I started off with like a $5,000 investment that my dad gave me. And 
it's always a funny story. My dad, my dad essentially kind of hinted at the fact that he was pretty confident I was going to lose the money, but yeah. he wanted me to learn. So that's, you know, that's how you let someone, that's how you help someone learn something. Nice. Um, and for the most part I did, I, the last thousand, I turned it back around, <laughs> but, uh, so that was the first, like, that was like the first four months was just me getting my feet in the water and, uh, testing grounds and learning a ton. And then, and then the second Q4, like a year, literally like 14 months later is when the business had really started taking off and I uh, dropped out of grad school, never got my CPA, turned down the job offer that I had received in Manhattan and uh, then continued my journey. <laughs> and that's kind of like the quick story. But from wholesale, what happened was I also took on some brand management. That's the thing I did for a little bit. And I was talking to um, someone that I used, I used to help in Amazon e-commerce, one of the board game companies. And I was in their office. And they mentioned this game called Trekking the National Parks. And the background to that is uh, three weeks before that, I had slept outdoors for the first time in my life. I was 22 years old, never slept outdoors before. I'd hiked like once or twice when I was the, the year before, but okay. I'd never slept outdoors. And that was in the bottom of the Grand Canyon. So nice. my first night of outdoors, bottom of the Grand Canyon, on like a backpacking guided trip. I fell in love with the national parks. Three weeks later, um, this uh, this associate brings up this game called Trekking the National Parks, and that game was created by their friend Charlie, who with with his parents who had hiked all the national parks, they had created a game together. And the onus of the company that I now run, which is Underdog Games, is that like the the origin, sorry, not the onus, the origins of the Underdog Games, is that I realized that for the first time I play, I, you know, I'd sold board games for two years. Uh, for the most part, I didn't play them because I wanted to be only, I only wanted to use data to figure out whether I should buy a lot of games or not and make the decision on investing in, in the wholesale. So I, I would only use data. I wouldn't play them. But for the first time, I wanted to play a game okay. because it was about something I cared about, which is national parks. Nice. So when I realized that, I was like, oh, I have to meet this guy, Charlie. I have to. I, there's something, there's some magic there. Because if I if I, I feel if I feel this like trigger to play it, if I feel this um, push to play this game, that means a lot of other people that love national parks will feel the same way. And uh, talking to I spent a lot of time talking to Charlie and his family. Uh, I convinced Charlie to come join me, and uh, we started Underdog Games. Nice man. And what year was that? Two thousand eighteen. Two thousand eighteen. Yeah, it's about four years ago. Our first, our first annual retreat was in Sedona in a camping tent. <laughs> nice. Heck yeah, man. So you guys, I mean, you guys just threw it up on Amazon and, and, or it was already on Amazon and you just. No, no. So there was a, there's a little more to it. There's a little more to it. So there was, a, there was an edition of the game that already existed. The first edition at over three years that they had run the company together. It had sold about 5,000 copies, okay. you know, total in three years. So we licensed, I licensed the game. I licensed the game from the family. Um, Charlie was working for me as well. And we decided to make a second edition. So with some improvements, we made a second edition of the game. That's why it's striking the National Parks second edition. And uh, we actually did a Shopify pre-order page. So because I didn't know if I had enough money to make it to the end of the year. One, one caveat is I abandoned the entire wholesale business, which at that point had become a $2 million business essentially overnight to put all my eggs into underdog games. I don't know. I don't know if that's always a sensible thing to do, Yeah. but 
uh, my one of my core beliefs as a person is that you're only you're only really able to do one thing extremely well. Yeah. And I believe that if I had if I kept spending time on this other thing, which you know, no disrespect to people that have a wholesale business, and some people have found ways to really succeed in it, I just didn't believe at that time that it, it was defensible. I didn't believe that there was anything uh, that other people couldn't go in. And I thought the competition would keep increasing and the margins keep decreasing. So on one side, I was like, this business is profitable for me right now. Um, and at the point I was pretty young, so it was a really nice business. Yeah. Uh, but this other business that I'm potentially starting with, this guy has a huge ability to grow into something bigger. So I abandoned one completely, put all my focus into the other, put all the cash into this business. But like, I wasn't sure if I could afford the whole, like I wanted to do a container, like afford the print run and afford to be able to run the company. So I did a pre-order on my Shopify page before we even, before we even nice. fit, before the units even left China. Okay. And what we did was uh, at the time, you know, we spent a lot of time researching how Facebook ads work. Now, 2018 was a different lifetime when it comes to Facebook ads. It was very, it was much more profitable back then, but yeah. we did a lot of research into what we believed could be uh, an ad that convinced people to buy a game about national parks. And it's not just like an image thrown up there, whatever. We tried to get really uh, into the mindset, right? And at that time, the notion of the company, like the foundation was that if you get people to share something, it's much more powerful than getting them to click something. If you get people to share something on Facebook, every view that after the share is free, every click after the share is free, right? So if someone looks at the ad, they press share, Anyone that they share it to, you're not paying for those clicks. You're not paying for those views. So it scales extremely well. Okay. So what we found was, what we realized was like, you want to create something organic. You want to create something that doesn't seem, it's not commercially. It's, it's you being honest. It's you being genuine about what this thing is. So we created, we recorded a video on my cell phone, on like on my kitchen table at home. Nice. And it was, that's, that's the video that yeah. started this company was kitchen table here's the game cell phone it showed the box and it was charlie just kind of talking about his family and what the game is and the thing is it only like it didn't focus on us at all it was not about us right it was about the game and it was about the national parks yeah so it was very focused on the map of the game it was very focused on the cards i mean that's all that's where the beauty is that's what people care about uh we never we were never in the video that video got seven thousand shares um, reached almost 4 million people with ad spend behind it. Yeah. And uh, I always remember the first sale. I mean, you know, you put it up on the Shopify website. Me and Charlie worked about a week, like, you know, really worked about a week to try and get just one page. I mean, if you only have one product, you only need one page. You don't need yeah. anything more than that, right? It's just build a whole website. Right? You don't need to build a whole website. Don't overthink it. It's just build the right, build this page and build it you nice. You need the about us page though in the, in the FAQ. <laughs> What'd you say? I said you need the FAQ and the about. Well, the page. FAQ. Yeah. If you make the if you make the page like we put the FAQ on the bottom of the. Page. There's always someone trying to sell you that you need some other page. Yeah, yeah, you don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, like make it a so nice you guys, page. So you threw up one page, right? It took you said it took a, like a week to put it up. Yeah, we experimented with a lot of different things. Um, and if you even if you do have like a, I don't even remember if it actually was just pure one page or if you had a shop. You're only driving people to one page, so like. Right. Even if your homepage is nothing, it doesn't actually matter because yeah. the when they click the link, you're driving them to that one page. So we experimented a lot, did a lot of like thinking on how to make it look nice, popped it up. It said pre-order. The game was $50, but we put it on for $40 and we put a little huge headline that says ships in September. And this was in July, it was July 21st. 
when we put them on the page went live. Um, and then we took, I think we created 10 cell phone, we created 10 ads. So uh, one of them being the cell phone, we took a bunch of images, whatever. And then, uh, you know, we, it was like 8 p.m. at night. We launched the ad and I was just like, all right, if you spend like a hundred bucks and get like two sales, I'll be happy just because it's like progress. It's like, because yeah. it was my first time launching my own products. I was like, even if you spend a hundred bucks, get like two sales, I'm good. I'm like, that's, yeah. that feels good to me. And we spent uh, our first $50 resulted in like nine sales. Okay. So, that first order came in like three minutes later. It was, it was probably one of the most magical moments of my life. I'll never forget it. That's um, awesome, man. That's yeah. Crazy. That's People crazy, were pre-ordering man. a game that never hadn't even launched yet. And so do you think like, what, where do you think the trust factor did come from that? I mean, was it just cause it was Shopify and Facebook and at that moment, like the timing as yeah. well? I don't know. I wish I, I wish I knew. I'm that's not crazy, sure I would have right? ordered I from mean, us, right? That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. But I, I think I we did a good job of making ourselves look professional. Yeah. Um, I think that helped. I think the, I think the game looked, I mean, we, the game had a lot of amazing production to it. Like okay. Charlie himself was so an the artist. The game was very sellable. The game, the game were, itself. You were into it. Yes. The game itself guys- was completely sellable. Who masterminded the the idea of you know that UGC style, uh, with just with the iPhone? Yeah, I mean that was that was mostly me. It was just mostly reading through a ton of Facebook, uh, you know, t- just going through everything when it comes to Facebook and what what was working, yeah. what was not working, and okay. the core was like, hey, a cell phone video will get shares. Yeah. That's what we think. Nice. So, yeah. So are you guys still? And then so you start. So then so you had that going on, and then you know how are things going with Amazon? Yeah. So then after we, after we did that, uh, Shopify pre-order, then it was, then we had to actually kill it. Um, we had to, well, we had to like stop taking pre-orders cause I was like, I don't even know how we're going to ship these things. I just, yeah. I was like, at some point we got to 5,000 pre-orders. Um, we, we did 250,000 wow. just in pre-orders before. I mean, I paid for the whole first container and then some, nice. and I was like, I, I don't, I'm not even entirely sure how we're going to ship them. Like let's hold off on these pre-orders. Um, and so I ended up actually ordering three containers, which was 27,000 units total for that first year. Uh, cause I felt like, oh my God, like, all right, we're getting these kind of pre-orders before the games even launched. And we believe by like, Hey, we can run, we can scale these ads going into Q4. And like once November, December runs comes around, like we should be able to like really push these games. Like we should really be able to crush it. So the, the games come, the games, uh, the games arrive, we put them on Amazon and then just push heavy Facebook ads to the games. And the idea was like, Hey, if we can get like a couple of hundred sales right away, boom, 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 then we can push Amazon to rank them that we can, you can send a strong signal to Amazon to rank them for the keywords that we were going for. And for the most part, it worked. Yeah. We sold out the 27,000 units before we even hit Christmas. So nice, man. That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. That's uh. That's such a great like journey, man. Just coming. <laughs> it seems like you had a lot of data to kind of support your decision making process into diving into that game. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, the wholesale experience. The wholesale experience is what kind of gave me the background because I was I spent years selling other people's board games. I understood yeah. the market. I knew what was happening. I knew what the indicators were, but still, I mean, along the way, most people thought I was pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a big risk. I mean, that's I. The cool thing about being 24 at that time was that if I, if you go to zero at 24, you can just start again. I mean, I know that's that's hard. Yeah. 
it's hard to like it's hard to say that because going to zero would suck like it's yeah. not it wouldn't be easy yeah. you know not having any money but at 24 i don't have kids and i don't have a family i could take a risk that someone maybe with the family could not and i was willing yeah. to take that risk because i also felt it was a safe risk and i felt the reward for that risk was extremely high so to me the ratio of risk to reward was really good in that scenario yeah. and board games don't expire so my thought was yeah. all right Worst case scenario, if I sell 5,000 through a pre-order before the game even launches, I can sell, I should be able to sell 13, 14,000 during Christmas time, right? Like yeah. that shouldn't even be an issue. Um, and if I have to hold on to these other units till next year, it's not, it's not the worst case. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's just not ideal. So that's why I took the risk. I honestly, in hindsight, in hindsight, 2020, Facebook ads were so cheap back then. I should have ordered 50,000 units. <laughs> I, should have, I should have tripled my Facebook ad spend. That's always the thing. Right. Have you tried to like re recreate that magic, like, you know, recently, or have you done anything with a recent product launch with that strategy in mind? Yeah. So that strategy is hard. We transitioned then. So like, I mean, sales increased every year for trekking national parks up until end of, up until 2021, because 2020 national parks went crazy. Everyone was, everyone was playing board games. Everyone was playing, everyone was going to the national parks. So like we had, we hit a peak in 2020. So sales grew up radically fast. We invested a lot of money into, uh, we invested a lot of money into Facebook ads during that time. Um, but then from trekking national parks now it became all right now we're a creative company you know we, we are in creative products akin to like a book publisher or a movie producer um you know a musician stuff like that and uh you know what's the next step so we had we decided at that point that all right after natural what well, we felt the natural next game after trekking national parks was trekking the world and we decided to go on kickstarter for trekking the world because there was a huge audience of gamers that were on Kickstarter. Now we could have done a pre-order again, but we wanted to reach a slightly different audience than the one we had already reached. So we decided to go on okay. Kickstarter. We didn't put a, like an enormous amount of resources into it, but we put a decent amount of resources into it. And we hit, we got 6,000 backers, 6,500 backers for about 250K. Um, and that launched Trek in the World. Since then, we've, uh, we've close to 10X those number of units. Most of our sales happen outside of Kickstarter rather than on Kickstarter. Okay. Similar thing. We spent a lot on PPC. We spent a lot on Facebook ads. Um, and that's where our expertise kind of is. Uh, and that's where we push a majority of units because a lot of the audiences that we have are off of Kickstarter. But yeah, so trekking the world, um, we did that. And then our newest game, we just launched on Kickstarter again this year, trekking through history. Will probably nice. be the last time we use Kickstarter. Uh, okay. We would like to transition off of it. Uh, but yeah, we just did trekking through history and the cool, one of the cool stories behind it is we actually asked our trekking the world audience, what our next game should be. Nice. And we did a, so in Kickstarter in order to receive the thing, in order to receive their game, they have to fill out what's called a pledge manager. And with the pledge manager, we were able to ask a question before they before they put in their address and receive the game. So we asked them, we, first we asked them to give us ideas during the Kickstarter for our next game. We took those ideas, put them up for a poll and we picked the winner, which was trekking through history. And then over the next two years, we updated, and we updated our audience about that game and then launched it. So they picked the game for That's us. Amazing. So how much did the poll, how much did the poll cost you? I mean, the poll cost is nothing. It's just, yeah. uh, 
But I'm yeah. just thinking like the poll cost and then the data that you get is incredible. Is incredible, <laughs> right? Like it's the best that you can get. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing because like they're essentially forced to answer it. It's not often you can like force all of your customers to answer a question. Yeah. And it was a quick multiple choice. It just clicked. So it wasn't that hard. Well, and uh, I, I imagine it sounds like you really presented it in a way where they probably wanted to fill it out. Right. Like it seems like you really know these people, you know, your audience yeah. and you know what they want. And, you know, why wouldn't they want someone to create a new product that they want for to them uh, yeah for yeah them. we hope we hope they were excited about it we got a lot of positive feedback that uh, when we launched trekking through history that it felt like they were part of the journey um, yeah. and we 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 like vastly appreciate it we could not do it without them uh, helping us out helping us pick and helping us play test the games and all that stuff so um, it's cool ago was trekking the history that you guys launched that one oh uh, so we just we our kickstart campaign just finished like 10 uh, february 28th Oh, okay. Nice. Nice. Yeah. All right. So the Kickstarter campaign just finished. We're going to launch that nice, game into man. retail um, this year, uh, at the end of this year. That's exciting. Is a re so how much does a retail uh, play a role in your, your sales channel? So retail, I mean, um, so we have two avenues for retail. Essentially, we have small mom and pops. Um, we built out that distribution network as well. There's a, there's a story behind that as well. Uh, we actually hired a full-time sales rep to drive around the country in a minivan um, and go to nice. these small mom and pop stores across the country to set up the foundation of our mom and pop stores instead of working with sales reps. Um, don't know if that was the most prudent choice, but it gave us a super strong foundation. And internally, we built we we spent a lot of time building really really strong systems uh, so that you know we could handle 500 to 800 clients with minimal yeah. work. Now. One of the keys, this is just like a little hack to for mom and pop retail, anyone that wants to get into mom and pop retail, a lot of people will make it easy for themselves um, in how to handle the orders. So an example of that is like, they'll be like, hey, we'll, we'll create a Shopify website for, for a brick and mortar retailer, small mom and pops, and then they can just come onto the website, log in, and then just pull it, put in the information and boom, it arrives to them. It's super clean, super automatic, et cetera. Except it's not easy for them. It's easy for you. They don't want to, they don't want to go to your website. They got a million things to do. The last thing they want to do is go to your website. They don't care. Yeah. They don't have the time to do that now. And if you think, and if you go further deeper, right, a lot of, when, when we think about like, a lot of e-commerce companies where they fail with mom and pop distribution is when they think about e-commerce customers, like you're always making things easy for your customer on your website, right? You're always thinking about, Hey, what can I do to the customer to make this a perfect experience? Cause I want to increase my conversion rate on website. People don't do that for mom and pop retailers because they don't spend the time to talk to, to those retailers and ask them, Hey, what are your systems? What, what's the easiest way for you to order? And if they did, maybe they would know a lot of these retailers have softwares that automate their ordering. They create invoices as soon as stock runs low and send it to, uh, send it to the publishers whose email is already input. So what we did was we worked extremely hard. We still focused internally on how to make the systems easy for us, but we worked extremely hard on how to make the systems easy for the mom and pop retailer. So we, you know, we would tell them, it's like, Hey, you could text us, you could email us, or you could call us or, or you could go to our website. It doesn't matter. Like if they yeah. texted us, if they were just like, if they're already in our system and they hit us with a text, they were like, Hey, six copies of T trekking the national parks, please. 
we can put that order through no problem. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like that's, we wanted to make it as seamless for them as possible. There's no confusion. And then internally we had to work really hard to make sure all of our systems connected so that essentially one person can handle all of now we have 800 mom and pop uh, stores. The second is go on. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm curious to know, like you're a, a little more about how you went from, you know, you and uh, the other guy from the board game to like building this team, these systems, um, you know, what are some strategies that you really found and tactics that you've found to work for yourself that you would tell other people to try if they're trying to do the same thing? Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, well, I was going to say with, uh, with uh, retail, the other one is like mass market. And we're like, we're like approaching that now we're getting into that because it's really small mom and pop and then Target and Walmart, are like the big dogs, and that's it and yeah. Barnes and Nobles. So we're, we're working on that too. Um, but we haven't really stepped too much too deep in those toes. Um, with the team itself, uh, building out everything. I mean, it's, it's a hard journey. Uh, the first thing I would tell people, uh, is after, uh, my friend Edward told me this one time and he said, uh, never judge your chapter one against someone else's chapter five or chapter 10. Right. And I, I was like, that's so powerful. Yeah. When you're starting out, it's going to be hard. Yeah. Um, right. Like this guy started a company in 2018, it's now 2022. I spent three years making mistakes and <laughs> screwing up to get to the point where the team, the team is doing really well and it's automated. You're going to have to potentially take a while to get there. Like you're going to, you're going to have to learn if you've never built out a company of this size, or you've never run your own business. Like don't judge, uh, your own current progress by my chapter five, you're on chapter one. You know, I've done this for a few years. Like don't do that. Like you will build up, you will learn, you will figure it out. You have to be ready to not be perfect from day two. It's not going to happen. It's just not. Um, so building up the team, building up the systems, building up the processes, uh, people first is always the critical part. Uh, you could, there are some people, there are some business owners, I think that prefer to work in a way where they build all the systems and then they just have people come in and follow them. Um, and for some businesses that might work, we're in a very creative business, right? So that's, you can't really do that in a creative businesses, in creative business. The best thing I think I've done, the best piece of advice I can give in building out the teams and processes is if you hire the right people, they'll build out the processes and let them build it to their, to their strengths. Um, let them build their processes how they want. You want unification throughout the company. So there's some level of synergy, but I think when you're small, at least, you know, when you haven't hit a bigger number and your team is not up to 50 people, I think it's actually more important to let the people that you hire in the management role build out the processes, however, they're more most comfortable and then let them have absolute, let them have, empower them to essentially build those systems out. And people on the team work differently. Um, I have uh, three heads of departments at the moment. One of them is in charge of my studio, Nick, and you know, the way he wants to run the creative side of creating board games is completely different than how the marketing team wants to run, how the operations team wants to run. I mean, I have yeah. three very strong personalities in charge of each of those departments, uh, operations, marketing, and the studio. And they all have their own processes by which they want to run the company. And the company is so much more flexible if I let them choose. And if I let them figure out how to build those processes out, then rather than me telling them. So that's huge. That to me was, that to me was the real biggest change I made. Um, rather than trying to give them the systems. Yeah. Um, in terms of actually building out systems, 
like what how to build out strong systems i mean it's just it's you got to figure it out i guess is really the only way i mean it's 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 you try things they don't work you cut nix those you build better ones and at some point either you or someone else in your company is playing a game to figure out the best most efficient way to do things yeah I don't know if I have like very specifically like this is how he builds this. I'm actually not very great at it. So that's one yeah. of the reasons I'm very good at using software and helping people and showing people how to do things. But in terms of like building processes and stuff, not really one of my strong suits. Well, it sounds like you're good at getting the right people, you know, to do the, to the things that you need done. It seems like you've, you've been able to accomplish that with the people you put around you um, and the tools that you use, right? Like that's the other piece of it right there is finding those tools. Um, but yeah, other than that, man, you definitely just got to put in the work. Like there's so many great things you can identify, like trends you start to see yourself once you just get in there and get your hands dirty and, mm-hmm. uh, take a step back and kind of see what's going on. Right. And then you, you yeah. see somewhere else to keep going down and it can be fun, man. But it, it genuinely, I think if you want to run a small business, either you or one of your top people has to j- just f- love solving problems. Yeah. Like that has to like excite them. I remember when we were doing, uh, like when we were, uh, when we were doing the big road trip with my sales rep, I was like, I was, I was looking up softwares that, um, made it so that you could, you could put in 10 locations in your store and it would give you the faster track to them. It's called road mappers. Okay. So I was like, you know, I'm trying to solve all these problems. I was, I was out there in the morning at 8am being like, what is the best road mapping software? That's what you do. I mean, if you have a problem, it's like, I need, you know, it saved, it saved our like, almost like an hour a day. Nice. Um, that's huge. That's massive. That makes life yeah, so much easier. I remember easier. doing stuff like that back in the, the retail arbitrage days, man. Like yeah. if you knew you had some, if there was some product in stores and you wanted to hit it, like yeah. mapping it out was mm-hmm. mapping it out like that was crucial. I think like, if you're going to do, if you're going to start out and like get to a million in just that business and revenue, uh, I think you're going to start looking at some stuff like that. It seems yeah. like. And there's like so many, you know, we looked up like B2B softwares in that world. We looked up, um, you know, you know, how to integrate that software to ship station invoicing. You try to automate as you try to yeah. just keep automating as many different parts of the business as you can. And on like the marketing side, on the on the creative side, it's always endless. Like this is the problem. This is how we fix it. And then that was wrong. Keep ideating, keep trying to come up with better solutions. Um, we also run our company on EOS structure. So like every week we have to talk about issues, resolve issues. And that, that's, that's massive as well. Yeah, definitely got to have some good project management stuff. I know a lot of people like EOS and it's just uh, refreshing to hear it like work for somebody, you know, I think it just helps them either give it a shot if they were thinking about it or like take it more seriously if they've been toying around with it. Yeah, I would highly recommend it. I mean, just yeah. just the weekly issues list is, I mean, that's the most powerful thing you can have in EOS. Just get your executive team together once a week and rank the highest priority issues and then really put in strong systems in place so that the way you're solving the issues is actionable. That's really the yeah. keys. Yeah. Don't like, don't waffle. <laughs> so yeah, try and like, really solve the issues. So I know we were talking earlier and you were, you mentioned how you planned that trip, you know, and you were going to go away for a few months and you had to prepare yourself and your team, uh, uh to do that. Like, wh- what was that like? And, and how did it play out when you, when you left? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I have no idea where I read this. I mean, I, I, everyone says it was four hour work week, but I don't think it was four hour work week. I think it was a blog, but, uh, wherever I read it, some guy made a very, 
strong point where if he says you want to travel without your computer, without working, um, you want to get to that next level as a CEO where you can delegate all your responsibilities, just pick a date. Just literally pick a date, book the hotel, book the flight, book, book it for however many weeks you want to do it. And that's the date. And that's it. And once the minute you do that, your entire mindset changes. Yeah. Like you start solving things that you could have, you could have solved them years ago, but until you have the date, you don't bother solving those things. You don't bother trying to figure out financial controls in place. You don't try to figure out who gets what delegate, like who gets delegated, what, like you just don't even bother because there's no date in place. So I did a quick, I actually did a test run first. I I don't really tell you this, but um, in 2020 during, uh, during pandemic, I decided to do a two week trip in October when it was like fall foliage season. It's my favorite season when the leaves change. And that was going to be my test run. So I told my team, Hey, first two weeks of October, I'm just not going to be here. I'm going to cell phone off. I'm not going to really respond to messages. We created like an emergency way to respond in case something really big did come up and I needed to uh, get in there. But um, so I did a test run where, uh, you know, I told my team in July, I was like, Hey, I booked the Airbnb. Like it's set. I booked the Airbnb for two weeks, bought these tickets. Like I'm going, I'm going to be gone for two weeks. And let's figure out what needs to be done. Um, and we sat there and, you know, created a list. I created a, uh, you know, potential, like in case of fire <laughs> break emergency glass situations that they could do before they contact me. So I like, set up, um, things that they, people they can contact. Uh, I actually had like a fellow MDS member who I asked their permission. I was like, Hey, can my team contact you if something goes wrong and they need help with something with Amazon? And he said, yes. And like, I, you know, that's, that's, that's like a fun way to do it. If you have another MDS or if you have a friend that's also in the same uh, space as you be like, Hey, I want to take off for two weeks. If you ever have it with your team, I'll be your point of contact. Um, So like, yeah, I created like these things for them. And then, you know, we figured out, uh, we figured out what needed to be delegated, what needed to not needed to be delegated. And I was fully ready for the fact that things weren't going to go well. That's okay. It's two weeks. Yeah. Like your business will be fine. <laughs> like the business, I mean, unless you go in the middle, of like the peak time of year, your business will not collapse without you not there for two weeks. Like nothing will fundamentally break just because you're not there for two weeks. So I was fully ready. I was fully okay. This is my first time doing it. I mean, I'm still young. I haven't, this is the only, the only business I've ever really ran. I've never worked in corporate America really. So I don't know these things. I had to figure them out for myself. So I was fully ready for the fact that things weren't going to go super well. There was going to be issues. But the point of it is that you find you find your blind spots. You figure out where the blind spots for the company are or people don't know. And we identified those issues. It wasn't perfect. It was for the most part, the company was great. They did a great job handling it. There was no issues. Revenue didn't drop to zero. It was the same before I left and after I came back. Nothing fundamentally changed in those two weeks. Uh, but we identified blind spots where I was like, oh, you guys need more visibility into this. Oh, you guys, I should train you a little better on this. Oh, I don't have, I haven't given you access to these things and you need those. And I should delegate this on you because you can do that. I don't need to be here for that. Those kind of things. Um, and then I was, just, that was a, in preparation for the next year when I took four months off. And I think I worked probably like five to six solid days in those four months. And uh, a couple six days and four four months. Yeah, and there was you know what does that what does that really mean? Like what you like you like you got your computer out or like you looked on Slack like no the five solid days were 
what we would do, what I would do was I would pick, I would like, you know, I was, I was, go, I was spending like a week or two in cities. Um, and like, you know, in a two week time span, I would tell my team, Hey, I'm going to be online for this day. And night. like, I would go to a co-working space and I enjoy, I love working. So like, I love my team. I love working. So it wouldn't bother me. I would go to a co-working space, make some friends in the co-working space. And I would sit online and work for the entire day. And essentially in those days, it was like each executive team member, I did a one-on-one -on -one call, um, uh, any issues I brought up, I solved them then. And uh, that way it was just like every like three weeks, we just sat down, I went through everything um, nice. and like knocked everything out in the century one day. <laughs> right. Nice. And then maybe, and then usually like once a week, I would check my email for like an hour. So like, you know, if I woke up before my, I, I did a trip with a buddy. I did the whole trip with a buddy of mine, you know, if I'm awake one night or if I'm just up early and, or just middle of the day, we get back and I'm like, we're about to take a nap or something. I'll hop on my computer, check my email for like 30 minutes to an hour, check Slack messages, et cetera. But yeah, no, really did not put in. The team did, team did really well. Um, we still identified more blind spots. We still identified more things where it could improve. But I mean, man, that's amazing. Well, shout out to your team and yeah, <laughs> making it happen. Dude. I, I mean, they're incredible. Man. I owe them a lot. They all wanted to step up to the challenge. They all were ready for it because they wanted increased responsibility. Um, they wanted to know that the company would run fine without me. So, man, I appreciate everything that they, they've done and they stepped up huge at that time. Yeah, man, that's great. I highly recommend it. I mean, you don't want to build a business where you become a prisoner to your own yeah, business. Yeah, you build yourself into your own, yeah. own job, right? Like, not everyone needs ourselves out of it, right? At least, like, yeah, you can wake up and be like, oh man, I got to make a change here. And you're yeah, a little easier than an actual job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And not everyone needs three months off. I and mean, this was for me, this right. was like a once in a lifetime trip. Uh, my buddy, my buddy quit his job because he got a new other job offer and he had three months. So I was like, this was a huge opportunity. I wanted to take it and really travel the world. But like, you know, even if you don't leave your house, you need to know that you need you need that level of security knowing that, hey, if the if the need comes, if the time comes and I can't work for a week, the business will be good. And the real only way to stress test that is to not work for a week. I don't care who you are. I don't care what stage. I mean, unless you literally run the company by yourself, it's a different story. But um, uh, if you're at a certain stage where you have a team, um, then you should really, really should push yourself to take one week off. Absolutely. And yeah. It doesn't matter if you sit at home and like, you know, sit in a bath and like, you know, hot spot. I don't, it don't really matter what you do. Take the time off. Enjoy it. Um, don't work for the week, stress test your business, because when the time comes and it becomes necessary, for whatever reason, maybe, you know, maybe you, uh, you have a baby and you, you the first couple of weeks, you're like, I don't want to work, I just had a baby. And I, then you know that, okay, I don't have to because I've already put these systems in place. And it's important. Yeah, man, I think like, it's just a great like, pathway that you've taken from, you know, reselling starting out in that way where you can start out with a small amount of money working your working your ass off you know while you have to because you're limited on other resources mm -hmm. getting those resources readjusting like and just you know going uh, going down this path that allows you to have mostly complete control over your business right like mm -hmm. no one's going to shut down your contract you know or tell you you can't <laughs> sell here anymore right right like it's just it, it, you know it's it's great to see you've taken that uh, that journey, man. Uh, cool, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Cool. Um, and I know, I think I saw you in Jackson, right. You were still on that trip, right? 
that four months? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, it was yeah. Still, was like I was in Jackson in the middle it? of my trip. What's up? It was like tail the tail end of that. So maybe halfway through. It was halfway through. We went. I went yeah. back to Europe after that. We we I had to come back to the U.S. for a wedding, and then we ended up in Jackson. I actually spent a week in Yellowstone and uh, and uh, Tetons before the trip, before okay. the before the retreat. So, what was your you know top? How, where where did you go? I mean, how many of it different? Oh man, a lot of a lot of countries in Europe because it was the only. What was thing your I, favorite? Oh top, man, top three maybe. Uh, I mean, Italy is of course incredible, but probably okay. Italy, Portugal, and Croatia. All nice. amazing places. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that sounds nice. I haven't been, I haven't been out to there. Um, well, yeah, man. What are you guys up to now? What are you working on? And and what's what's the vision for the company? Yeah, so now we are essentially focused on establishing uh, establishing independence from Facebook ads. That's a big thing because okay. Facebook ads got so much more expensive. So we're really focused on bringing, you know, retaining the customers that we have, bringing new customers in through, you know, emails and content. Content's a big piece of the puzzle. We've hired, we hired an incredible um, content creator. She used to be former editor for Birds and Blooms. Um, so that's been really cool seeing that like shift from paid media to content-driven media and content-driven advertising, you know? the question is still out there whether that's going to be whether it's going to work sustainably or not but we're hope we're confident we feel pretty good about it um and then product development is always always a hard thing in a creative world right and if you're creating movies or if you're creating music or tv shows or whatever uh whatever it is when you're in the creative industry it's product development is always the hardest thing so we're always trying we just put out another poll out there today actually about the next game nice. we should make <laughs> so uh, we look, we're parsing through those, we're parsing through that data, seeing what our customers want, um, and trying to improve how we make games because that's always very tricky too. And that's it. I mean, that's really the core of the company going forward. Looking for new avenues, looking for new places to explore. It seems like our infrastructure is set up pretty well to grow. So at this point, it's just what's the new opportunities out there. What what area of the business are you focused on yourself? You know, the most right now. Yeah. So like my job as visionary is mostly to like develop relationships. So like I'm exploring partnering with brands, partnering with, uh, you know, working on like the potentially working with target, that kind of thing and, uh, new ideas for products. That's really where the focus. I'm also CFO of the company. I have a background in accounting. So I put some of my time in there as well. Nice. Um, okay. but yeah, now I, I I've gotten, you know, I've, we've gotten to the point in the company where I'm able to spend most of my time ideating on new ideas for products, where our growth opportunities are and what partnerships we can build. And that's really where I think my time is best spent at the moment. Nice, man. Where do you have some of your best ideas? Like, what do you feel gets you uh, so, 10, minute, 10 minute walks outside? Yeah. Yeah. So like there's three, there's three times in my life where I feel like my best ideas come. It's usually I, I go on a daily walk. So um, almost always on my daily walk, I have a decent idea. Sometimes it walks for 10 minutes. Sometimes it's for an hour. I usually have some good ideas there. Um, my second best ideas usually come first thing in the morning. Sometimes I go to a coffee shop, but I have some great ideas at the coffee shop. That's really nice. And then to be honest, my, my other, my other best ideas usually come when I'm extremely sleep deprived. I don't know why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't, I couldn't tell you why either. Like Either I wake up at 3 a.m. and I'm just like, I can't, I can't go back to sleep. I just have amazing ideas. Or if I yeah. only sleep like four hours, I wake up and like my body is on the verge of shutting down. My brain like unlocks. <laughs> Couldn't tell you why. 
Yeah, I've had, I remember I had like twice in my life. It was like for a couple months or like two months, I couldn't sleep. And I, at one point I was like, man, I'm just going to get up and start doing stuff. And I remember having some pretty good ideas and like writing down a lot of stuff. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't control it, man. It was crazy. But uh, it only happened once or twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Couldn't tell you. Like I just know for a fact that I got to crash. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes right before bed, it's not great when you have good ideas right before bed, but I have learned to right. put a notebook. Yeah. I have learned to put a notebook on my side table Go ahead and get them out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Just so like therapeutic it. for me. Yeah. No, it helps so much. It helps yeah. so much. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, what's next on the horizon for you yourself, man? Like, like what's going on in your life? What you, what you uh, got? No, man, not much. It's just, uh, I love the business. I love growing it. I think we're going to grow it. I think we're going to try and establish it as a, uh, you know, potentially a business that survives for 20 years. And some people will have the goal of creating a business that they can sell. And I think we believe that this is one of those businesses that maybe we can keep going for a long, long time. So that's kind of what I spend most of my time working on. I still, like to, I'm still traveling a lot. Uh, yeah. I still kind of focus on that. I always, always, always want to start something else, you know, yeah. like <laughs> it's a never ending issue I have, yeah. which is that when you're an entrepreneur, the the most fun you'll have in entrepreneurship is the start of a business. It's just the yeah. truth. Some people enjoy the building and scaling, but I'm not one of those people. I don't actually really enjoy scaling the business that much. It's not where I get my joy. It's when I, it's where I start something. It's like, you know, I told when we were in that campsite in Sedona, our first annual retreat, just me and Charlie, I told Charlie, I was like, this is the most fun we're ever going to have. He disagreed. He, he's having more fun now. But for me, that was the most fun I've ever had. Yeah. was at that moment when all the opportunities are available and we haven't accomplished, we haven't done anything yet. So I'm always fighting that urge. I want to open a dosa restaurant. Like that's a passion of mine. I love dosa. It's like an Indian, Indian, uh, South Indian specialty dish. Um, and I really want to open a chocolate cafe. Like that's the other, that's my other passion is chocolate. So I have all these things I want to do, but I've held myself back. I've held yeah. myself back from doing them for now. Well, I think you're in a position to, you know, potentially like do those things. It seems like the way that you, you operate. I mean, how old are you now? I'm 27, 20, 27. Yeah. You're good, man. You got, uh, I got time. I'll talk to you in a couple of years. You'll be like baking some chocolate or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's like, there's like a point I want to get to in the business. I don't think it's quite there where I feel comfortable, like I feel comfortable completely putting my energy into something else. Um, also just like the other issue is you open a physical occasion for anything and it becomes hard to travel. And I still want to travel. So yeah. I'm like, I don't want to be stuck inside. I, I would, I want to open a restaurant, but I don't want to be stuck inside the restaurant yet. <laughs> you know, when I feel more settled down, when I feel like it's time where I'm going to spend like a year in the spot without really traveling a lot, I'm going to open, I'm going to open a restaurant, I think. Nice, probably man. silly <laughs> but you know sometimes you yeah, maybe sometimes you, you gotta yourself, pursue I mean, it if you're just the chef right like you got everything else figured out if you can be the chef <laughs> exactly uh yeah that's who you want to be right man just in there cooking up exploring trying stuff yeah. out testing recipes seems like fun it just seems like so much fun <laughs> i used to love cooking myself man but you know it's it takes up a lot of time and in the cleanup and stuff like that but it, playing around with stuff in the kitchen creating something good taking it out to the family like that's such a good feeling too <laughs> yeah i totally agree totally agree well hassan thanks for coming on man it's been great just hearing your journey and and you know what you've been through and what you've accomplished and and where you're most likely heading man i'm i'm looking forward <laughs> to uh seeing what you're able to accomplish and thanks for coming on and, and sharing it with us 
Thanks for having me, man. I'll see you soon. Um, and thank you for everyone for listening. Yeah, man. See you in a couple weeks. Are you a million dollar seller looking to network with like-minded entrepreneurs? Apply for membership now at milliondollarsellers.com. Leave us a review and subscribe now so you don't miss out on next week's episode.